Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate his love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoyed today's message. It's springtime and uh, we're in the midst of a preaching series called Rise and shine. If you've never heard me speak before, this is generally how I approach uh, teaching the Bible. I like to read the scripture, I like to explain it a bit, and then I like to preach it. All right, and now I get that from Paul's letter to Timothy. He said, Read the scriptures, teach them, and preach them. And so, if you bought your Bible today, I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 60. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't, I'll put it on the screen. I'm going to be using uh, the New Living Translation today. And this is our key text for our series, Rise and Shine. Uh, we're up to part four today, and I finally get to have a go. So, let's, uh, let's have a look. Isaiah chapter 60. If you turn to about halfway in your Bible, it's just after Psalms, and uh, we're going to read our key verse for this series. Good morning. Hello. G'day. All right. Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise, Jerusalem. Let your light shine for all the nations to see, for the glory of the Lord is shining upon you. Darkness, as black as the night, will cover the nations of the earth, but the glory of the Lord will shine over you. All nations will come to your light. In fact, mighty kings will come to see your radiance. Look and see, everyone is coming home. Your sons are coming from distant lands. Your little daughters will be carried home. Your eyes will shine. Your hearts will thrill with joy. For merchants from around the world will come to you. They will bring you the wealth of many lands. And on it goes, and on it goes, and on it goes. The whole chapter basically paints a picture of these many promises of what happens when God's city, okay, God's people arise and shine. And the whole chapter is kind of dedicated to uh, listing a whole bunch of those blessings. Now, a little bit of on Isaiah, the stuff that I know. If you want to know more, go see Rob because he's the expert on Isaiah at the moment. He's studying that for his, uh, uh, what's it? it's not a doctorate, what are you doing? Masters or something impressive? TAFE course. Okay. Uh, no, it's a master's. He's doing a master's. It's very serious. And uh, studying, studying Isaiah. So uh, here's the pro. But basically, Isaiah is what we call a major prophet. And it's only because he's got a big book. Okay. That's the only reason for it. 66 chapters. And he prophesied over a period of around about 60 years. Okay. Let's, let's just say that. So that's pretty, a pretty big deal for an Old Testament prophet to be speaking uh, for that period of time. Uh, some of us know uh, ministers. Okay, who ministered for 60 years. You imagine uh, what he was like when he started and, and uh, what he was like at the end. But we basically spans a period of about that far. And of course, he saw a lot in his time and he predicted a lot in his time. Well, this prophecy and a lot of stuff from Isaiah, um, he predicts the, the fall and the rise of the city of Jerusalem, the city where his people lived. Okay, uh, There was coming a time in his future that uh, they just watched the northern crazy cousins up north, okay, the northern kingdom of Israel, they just witnessed them fall. And he was saying to the people of Jerusalem, the same is about to happen to you. You haven't learned the lessons of the past, so you're going to come crashing down. But God is a restoring God. And in the future, there will be a restoration that comes to you. And so like many prophets, he is a bit doom and gloom. 
okay, but he always has hints of hope. And that's basically how the prophets read in the Old Testament. Isaiah is a little bit unique in that he has far more hope than many others, okay? He's a far more hopeful prophet than like Nahum or, or some of the others that are just really depressing. Uh, so there are a lot of hopeful bits in the book of Isaiah. But uh, another reason that we know a lot of Isaiah or that makes him a, a major prophet is that he's quoted a lot in the New Testament. There's probably, I think, around 60 direct quotes from Isaiah in our New Testament after the Psalms. He is the most quoted book in the Bible. Some say over 300 allusions to him. So that's like, a, it's not a direct quote, but it's a hint. They're kind of hinting at Isaiah's language and borrowing it without directly quoting him. So that's, a, that's an illusion. Uh, we come across Isaiah a lot over Christmas, okay? Because he prophesied stuff like, the virgin will be with child. He prophesied that. He said, before that happens, there will be the voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, okay? Which we know is fulfilled in a guy called... John the baptizer, okay, so that's him. Then we have, his name shall be called, wonderful counselor, Emmanuel, mighty king, everlasting father, etc., etc. The son to be born would be called everlasting father. There's some cults that won't enjoy that verse. Hey, the son that will be born will be called the everlasting father, the God, the mighty God, okay? Jesus born as a son who is eternal God. That's prophesied by Isaiah. It is prophesied in chapter 35 that he would be a worker of miracles. It's prophesied in chapter 50 and 53 that he would be spat upon, beaten, his beard torn out, that he would be whipped and bruised for our iniquities, that the punishment that was put upon him would bring many people peace. But another thing that's prophesied in Isaiah over and over again is that this Messiah that would one day come would be known as a light. Okay, He would be a light, not only to his own people, but he would be a light to outsiders. He would be a light to the nations. And one of those is found in Isaiah 42. So if you have your Bible turned there, you know, look at a few scriptures and then we'll uh, get a bit flowy in a moment. Isaiah 42, he says this, Look at my servant whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one and I am pleased with him. How many of that sounds a bit familiar, doesn't it? This is my son, my love, I am pleased with him. There you go. I have put my spirit upon him. He will reveal justice to the nations. He will be gentle. In fact, he will not shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush those who are weak or quench the smallest hope. He will bring full justice to all who have been wronged. He will not stop until truth and righteousness prevail throughout the earth. Even distant lands beyond the sea will wait for his instruction. God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, created the earth and everything in it, gives breath and life to everyone in all the world, and it is he who says, I, the Lord, have called you to demonstrate my righteousness. I will guard you, I'll support you, for I've given you to my people as the personal confirmation of my covenant with them, and you will be a light to guide all nations to me. How many of you know that sounds a little bit like Jesus? Okay, this is a prophecy that Jesus fulfills. He says a, a similar thing, or, or one of the reasons we know that this is fulfilled in Jesus. Actually, let, let me turn to another one. I'll, I'll, I'll say this. 
Chapter 49, very similar. 49, what have I got written here? Verses 5 to 7. Sorry, I changed my notes this morning on this. Chapter 49, And now the Lord speaks, He who formed me in my mother's womb to be His servant, who commissioned me to bring His people to Israel back to Him. The Lord has honoured me. My God has given me strength. And He says, You will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light. A what? A light to the Gentiles or to the nations, okay? And you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. So we see this, these predictions repeated, associated with light, okay? There's someone coming who will not just be a light to my ethnic group of people, says Isaiah. No, 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 he will be a light beyond. He will be a light to all nations on the earth. And of course, we know Jesus comes along, John chapter 8, and he drops a big bombshell one day when he says, for I am the light of the world. It's one of the I am statement of Jesus. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to eternal life. But then what Jesus does is he goes beyond just calling himself a light. You see, many of us as Christians, Bible readers, we're happy with that. Oh yeah, Jesus is the light of the world. Good for him. He fulfilled that prophecy. That's good. Shine, Jesus, shine. You know, <laughs> you remember that one? Come on. We're not doing it ever. Um, <laughs> ever. <laughs> um, oh, that's what you've got showers for, ladies and gentlemen. You can sing whatever you like, okay? Um, but Jesus turns this around a bit and he says this in his famous Sermon on the Mount. He's got his people there, his followers there, and he says this. He said, guess what? You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And like a city on a hilltop that shouldn't be hidden, no one after all lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. No, no, no. That lamp is then placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. So you let your light shine so that other people may see your good deeds and this may result in praise given to God. Paul picks up this theme in Ephesians 5 when he says, For you were once darkness, but now you are the light of the Lord. Therefore, live that way. You are light. So Jesus is the light and his people are light. Come on, say, I am light. You say that tomorrow morning when you step on the bathroom scales. I am light. And see if it works. See if it works for you. Okay. You see, what Isaiah is doing here is he's not just, he's, he's, when Isaiah promises something, Jesus comes, and this is very typical of the New Testament. It takes an Old Testament prophecy and it makes it way better than what we ever thought. As far as Isaiah was concerned, someone would come who would be a shining light. Jesus comes and says, I'm filling out that prophecy. That's going to be fulfilled in me, but it's also going to be fulfilled in you. Okay, not only am I the light of the world, but I'm calling you. You are the light of the world. Not only will you walk by the light, but you yourself will be a shining light. I'm not just a mirror that reflects God's light. I become a generator, a nuclear powerhouse. Okay, solar power station, whatever, okay. Of, of light that I generate my own energy. I am the light of the world. And we know this because Isaiah 42, this same verse that's quoted at Christmas, Okay, when you read the Christmas story, an old guy called Simeon prophesies over Jesus, okay, sings a song, and he quotes Isaiah 42. 
a light shining for the nations. This is going to be this little kid. Okay, that same verse is quoted by Paul and Barnabas about themselves. Wow, that's heresy, hey? Taking a verse that's applicable to Jesus and saying, that's applicable to me. That's exactly what Paul and Barnabas can do. Here in Acts chapter 13, verse 47, it says, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it's necessary that we first preach to God's Jewish people and then, now that you've rejected it, we now go to the nations. For the Lord gave us this command when he said, I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the furthest corners of the earth. Wow, what Simeon said, this verse applies to Jesus. Paul and Barnabas now say, yep, and as Jesus' ambassadors, this verse applies to us. Wow, we take that we are in Christ. Christ's representatives, he is in us, and they say this is our verse. We are going to let our light shine. This verse is for us. The point is simply this. As we come in this spring season and we encourage you as a church to rise and shine, we are not asking you to be anything that you are not already. We're not asking you to do something that's not the most natural and normal thing for a light to do. Because you are light, okay? You are the light of the earth. So asking you to rise and shine is just saying, be you. Just be you, man. Be who God's created you to be. You've been created in the image of Jesus, the light bearer and the light bringer, and that is who you are too. You are a light bearer. You are the light of the world. So be you, all right? Rise up in your identity as a light of the world. Rise and shine. And that's what we're looking at this spring. And everyone said, amen. amen. Well, last week, how many of you believe Jeff did a great job last week? Were you here for Jeff? He's not, not here today, see? Grey nomad, don't tell him I said that. Um, Jeff's just uh, having, uh, having a weekend away. So they, uh, he just did a fantastic job. He looked at the word rise. And he talked about four ways that we can, I guess, encourage ourselves to rise and shine. It's to remember, okay, to, have, to imagine an image of something, to sing and to find encouragement. If you missed that message, of course, go on our iTunes or YouTube and uh, you should be able to find that in due course. Well, today I want to borrow uh, from Jeff's uh, little structure here and I want to look at the word shine. Rise. I'll take his four points and I'll make them five. I'm going to have to do him just, just by one. And I want to look at the word shine. I want to look at five practical things we can do to shine the light who we are and therefore to shine the light of Jesus in the world around us. S-H-I-N-E. I'm going to cover three today. We're going to work our way backwards. We're going to start with E and I'm going to read Matthew chapter 5 today. Why is that? Oh, yeah. I'm confusing. Yeah. At least, <laughs> least I... Just, just excuse us for a moment. Would you? We're just, uh, just having a. Uh, uh, yeah, at least some of us have structure, darling. So, um, Matthew chapter five. Get the attention off me. Look at the screen. You are the light of the world. You're a city on a hilltop that can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. A dur. Okay, that's a bit brainless to do that. Instead, no, 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 a lamp is to be placed on a stand 
so that it can give light to everyone in the house. So therefore, let your light shine. Okay, therefore, let your light shine. Listen, first practical thing that you can do as a light, E, is to extend yourself. Extend yourself. Get out from under the basket. Get out from under, okay, the comfortable zone of familiarity. Step out, get up on the table, okay, and let your light shine. Extend yourself and you will shine a light for many, many more people to see. Don't settle with the comfort of hiding under a bowl. Put yourself out there. One of the ways that we shine is by getting out of our comfort zones, extending ourselves uh, beyond our expectations and normal routines. We see this in the life of Abraham, who left his father's family, extended himself to go to a land that was unfamiliar to him. We see this in Moses, who for 40 years was living with his father-in-law, uh, serving sheep. He left that area when he had a burning bush experience and to go back into a dangerous place he extended himself stepped out of his comfort zone and became a blessing to the nation of Israel a few weeks ago Aaron launching the series spoke about Caleb and Joshua okay who stepped out of the comfort zone of what all their peers were doing because all their peer group were saying nah it can't be done can't be done, can't be done, can't be done. And what's his name? Joshua and Caleb extended outside of the norm, normality of their peer group to say, yes, we can do it. We're going to extend ourselves and let our light shine. Jesus left the throne room of heavenly glory and came to earth. Peter got out of the boat and walked on water. And in the book of Acts, we see people over and over again extending beyond their cultural boundaries. These men who knew nothing but the Jewish world, all right, stepped out of their cultural boundaries to walk into another culture, to go to a, a, a house of people with a totally different ethnicity. They would never go into that house before. They went beyond their comfort zones to eat and drink with people who did not look and speak and smell and think like them. They extended themselves and were saying, listen, I'm not going to stay under the comfort of this little basket. I'm going to get out and let my light shine. And one of the great benefits and blessings and privileges, maybe sometimes a hindrance, of being part of a safe church community is that it is safe to extend yourself, to take risk, to be a blessing to other people. Whether it's participating in a grow group, where people know you and love you and trust you and you can extend yourself and contribute something in that environment, extending yourself to do that. Whether it's uh, joining in a prophetic class like Jay's running on a Wednesday night. I know on those nights, people are extending themselves, stepping out and contributing in those safe environments. Whether it's serving in kids' ministry in an area, I don't know, I don't know, I've never ministered with kids, I don't know what to do, I don't know, it feels like a foreign, well yeah, okay, extend yourself, give it a go, all right, extend yourself, go into a foreign environment and serve in a place you've never done before. What about knocking on people's doors and offering food parcels on a Friday night with Glennis and her team in the food run? Yeah, that's stepping out of my comfort zone, but it's a way I can shine Jesus' light, I can extend myself and part of being a part of a team is that we provide hopefully a safe environment to help people extend themselves. There's plenty of opportunities. I pray that you would do that. 
There's some people who've been in our church for many years, and Georgina's one of them. And I think I've used her an example before, but she's safe. So, But you know, for so many years, Georgina would come to prayer meetings, and there were, for one year, was there only one year? Okay, I'm going to go with Jay. Yes, dears, definitely one year. For many years. Um, and it was, it, was like a gro- it was like a connect group. It was only like six or seven of us, eight of us, ten of us in the room. You know, it was obviously a small church family and she'd come to prayer meetings and not say anything. And she'd come the next week and not say anything. And she'd come the next week and not say anything. And it took years before one day she actually said something out loud. And whole group, she extended herself beyond that comfort zone. And now it's nothing for her to get up on a Sunday or in a prophetic class or in times before and come up and contribute and share something. And we are all the benefactors of that because someone said, I'm going to step out of my comfort zone and extend. I'm going to let my light shine. It's comfortable under this basket, I can tell you what, but it's no point me staying under here. All it does is warm up my own environment. I'm going to get out as a lamp on a stand and bless other people. It's also one of the benefits of being part of a team is that together we can shine a brighter light without doing any more work. One candle's good, but 130 candles gathering together just can extend the light and none of us are working any harder because the, the power of team and, to, and togetherness. You know, one of the reasons I prioritize my whole adult life, and this is how my, my parents raised me, I guess, but one of, the th- one of the things I love about a Sunday church gathering, even if I don't feel like coming to church on a Sunday, which happens even though, <laughs> you know, it's the only day I work, right? Um, <laughs> Even so, is I want to know that if, if people come, if either we're our first time visitors this Sunday, people that are looking into what this God thing's all about, what this, I want them to come into an environment that's bigger and livelier and more lights are shining. The more light, the better. The more light, the better. Because together we can display God's glory. And even if my light's not particularly shining that bright one day, I tell you what, uh, this is one of the benefits of coals being gathered together in a fire. We fire each other, we encourage one another, we end up burning brighter. And so I believe individual shining, group shining, we do this together and uh, we reach further as we shine together. Extend yourself. I want to encourage you today. I don't know what comfort zones you have. And I trust Holy Spirit would stir something in you to extend yourself and get out from under the basket and put yourself on a table, even if it's just a little one, even if it's just one like this. And then you can grow bigger and bigger tables. Jordan will build one for you and uh, you can be nice and bright as you get going. E is extend. N, to be someone that shines, a practical thing you can do is just to notice things. Just notice. Psalm 119 is a famous verse in there, and it says, God's word is like a lamp to our path and like a light, well, that way around, a light to my path and a lamp to my feet. In modern terms, we might say it's like a street light and a torch. Okay. Street light that lights up the whole, wow, that, that light shines a big, I can see the whole path there, it's a big light. Okay, that light's extending itself. But his word is also like a torch that shows me what's right in front of my foot. And as shining lights, yeah, we extend ourselves. It's, I love colorful people. 
I love life of the party type of people, and we need more life of the party type of people, yeah? I mean, Ellie's great, but I'd like another 10 of her. You know, just to come in, and you know they're there. You know, they just light up the place, and everyone knows they're there, and they're colorful, and they, they bring life. I think the more of those people, the merrier. You need those people at your parties. But I tell you who you also need. You also need people who just like a torch, sit back a little bit and go, you know, this party's awesome, but that person over there is not having a very good time because they just notice the ones. This is where you introverts can really shine because shining is not about being the loudest person at the party. That's it, I'm going to extend myself. I'll take off my basket and here I am, you know. It's not, it's not about, and then you're exhausted. That's just not me. Okay, listen, extend yourself, but part of your gift as an introvert is that you will notice things that the loudies won't because the loudies are too busy bringing noise, okay, <laughs> to notice the ones and the twos that are missing out. And that's where some of us as introverts, we can sit back a little bit and we can notice things and meet those needs and shine a torchlight, all right? It might not be a massive street lamp that everyone can see, but it's a little torch to go, there's a specific need I can see and I'm the type of person that will notice those things. We see this in Jesus, of course, because he models almost everything well for us. In Luke 17, 18 and 19, he's on his way to Jerusalem. This is where the whole palm branches thing's happening. Everyone's crowding around him like a boxer. They all want to touch him. And he's on his way to Jerusalem and all that type of thing. And in chapter 17, as he's walking through this village, he notices a group of lepers. And he says, be healed. He notices people that everyone else ignored. Okay, because they're ugly and you want to stay away from those fellas. He, but he noticed them. With all the hubbub around him, he noticed them. In the next chapter, as he's walking along, he notices a blind man, a guy called Bartimaeus, who's crying out. And Jesus, as people are throwing around about him, it says he stopped because he noticed the one. He stopped because he noticed the one. Extending his light. Look at this great ministry. He noticed the one. As he keeps walking in the next chapter, again, the crowds are around him. It's so busy, some people can't even see Jesus. In fact, there's one guy, a little short guy, who's so desperate to see Jesus, he climbs up a tree. And as Jesus walks in the crowd, thousands of people around him, he notices the one. And he not only notices him, he knows his name. And he calls out the one by name. This is the Jesus that we love. The one who extended his light so that nations would come. And the one who notices the ones and the twos. That's why we say Jesus loves you all. Jesus loves all, but Jesus loves each. Okay, Jesus loves all and Jesus loves each. And this is how we let our light shine, a big shining light, but specific focus when we notice things, when we take the time to notice. Because today, this is my job. I'm the guy with the microphone. I'm like the MC at the party. And I have the privilege of having a whole bunch of people draw from my light. Okay? Phew, lucky me. But there's people here today whose needs I'm not going to meet by doing this. That's why you're here. Because you will notice. You will notice what I'm not going to notice. And we need one another to do that. Amen. Let your light shine. E, extend yourself. N, notice things. Notice the ones, notice the twos. And I finish on this. Three is I, 
initiate. Initiate, initiate. Initiative is all about being proactive in blessing others or in letting your light shine. It's doing something of your own accord. It's doing something of your own decision. We find the word in the Bible. It comes from Greek, who would have thought? And uh, it's basically a, a joining of two words. One means auto, is auto, the word self, and the other is a personal choice. I, can't, I won't even try to pronounce it. Auto, personal self. I'm making an automatic personal choice. No one's making me do this. I am taking initiative. And it's used only twice in our New Testament, and both in the same chapter. And both of them are speaking about being generous to others upon one's own initiative. This is the first, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 3. Paul saying, For I can testify that the Philippian church, is the context, the Philippian church gave not only what they could afford to give, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. Some of your Bibles say they did it of their own accord. They knew that the churches in Jerusalem were going through a hard time. There was people struggling. And when Paul passed through, they said, Listen, Paul, we've heard there's a need without you even asking us to put a thing on the screen and pass the buckets and here's your text number. Okay, now nah, you didn't ask us. I want to give. We want to be part of that. And on their own free will, they gave. Well, he uses the same word a few verses later when he talks of a guy called Titus. And he says this, Titus welcomed our request that he come and see you again. In fact, he was very eager to go and see you. Titus is eager to come. So I asked him to come to you, but he was going to come anyway because he wanted to come on his own initiative. He was going to come on his own initiative. He was eager to come. These two instances where this word is used. Taking initiative is all about being front-footed in our attitude to life. Front-footed in our approach to life. Taking initiative is all about showing up, not just rocking up. Ah, just rock up. Out comes the phone. You know, <laughs> I'm just rocking up. No, no, I'm not just rocking up. I'm showing up. I'm going to show up today. Uh, you know, I'm invited to a party later. Sure, it's for a four-year-old, you know, but I'm going to, <laughs> but I'm not just going to rock up. I'm going to show up. Okay, we're going out to lunch next week, Jubilee lunch. Okay, we're invited. You know what? I'm going to go there and I'm not just going to rock up to lunch. I'm going to show up. I'm going to show up and be prepared to take initiative and be on the front foot, welcome people, be hospitable. Whatever it takes, I'm showing up today. Taking initiative is about noticing a gap and stepping into that gap, extending yourself, noticing and extending. See what I did there? Noticing and extending yourself to fill that gap without anybody asking you to. That is what initiative is. Initiative is about intentionally improving a situation without intruding in a situation. I'll get to that in a moment. Initiative is all about coming up with a solution to a problem that you identify. You know, it's really easy to identify problems. It's really quite easy to identify problems. There's lots of them. And if we can see a problem and we can speak a problem, we wouldn't need to ask God to say, Lord, what, what can I do to help solve that problem? This is why a lot of us just get really tired of like, stuff like politics, especially around election time. Because you notice after a while, these people want us to vote for them and all they're doing is saying problems. They're not actually giving any solutions. 
Oh, but we know this is a problem, this is a problem, this is a problem, this is a problem for us. Well, what are you going to do about it? Yeah, but it's a problem. We need to do something. Yeah, but what are you going to do? <laughs> well, we're going to open a dialogue. Okay, well, great. Okay. <laughs> what, what's your solution? What are you going to do? <laughs> you know, tell us what you're going to do. Well, we're going to raise taxes, so we, you know, just put money into it, and that'll solve the problem. No, we need solutions. We need people with solutions. And so this is what a person with initiative is. An initiator says, what can I do to step into a gap and to meet a need? And one of my, what will I do? I'll finish with this. One of my favorite stories on initiative is um, a story about Jonathan in 1 Samuel 14. You remember Jonathan is David's mate, okay? He's also King Saul's dad. And before the whole David situation happens, there's this really interesting story where King Saul is uh, moping under a pomegranate tree. He's just sad. Nothing's going his way. There's this big enemy on the horizon. They're about to clean them out. He doesn't know what to do. God's left him. He's, in the, he's just moping. All right? He's just having a big pity party under a pomegranate tree. And Jonathan's there as part of the army. And Jonathan's like, we're not doing anything. There's an enemy to fight. We're not doing anything. There's a problem. And he says to his mate, an armor bearer, he says, why don't we just give something a go? I've got an idea. Let's go over to where the enemies are by that cliff, okay? And if I say this and they say A, B and C, then that'll be a sign that God wants us to go and fight them. And if I go there and say something and they say X, Y and Z, then we'll just back off, all right? Let's give God a chance to do something. We'll show the initiative. And so Samuel goes over and he goes to the cliff and he says, Oi, fellas, so-and-so. And they say, A, B, and C in return. And he's like, there's our sign. God's with us. And he says, let's climb up the cliff. And so him and his armor bearer go up, and the armor bearer is carrying the swords and, the, and everything for Jonathan. Jonathan's climbing up the hill, okay, clawing his way up. He gets up there, and somehow him and his armor bearer kill 20 guys on their own. Now, that's pretty amazing. But then something supernatural happens. A supernatural fear comes on the army that's over there and they all just start panicking and running around and going, what the heck's going on? What the heck's going on? And they start fleeing. Well, Saul's down here under the pomegranate tree and he sees this army's fleeing and suddenly he wakes up and he goes, hey, let's go chase them. <laughs> Finally, he decides to do something. Now that they're running, yeah, I think God's with us now. Let's go. So he gets up and he goes, starts, and he starts slaughtering this army anyway. And then what happens is you've got all these guys who have left the God's army and they're all having their own pity parties back at home. They've gone into self-imposed retirement. They see this army fleeing and they're like, yeah, we're going to join in too, dang it. So they go and they end up fighting. Why? Because one boy took initiative. One guy just did something. He said, oh, yeah, nothing's happening, but I'll give something a go. And if God backs it up, we'll, we'll see what happens. You see, they weren't just waiting for revival to come. They just weren't waiting for God to get off his throne and do something. God's up there going, well, I'm waiting for you, boy. I'm waiting for you. And, and Jonathan sets himself a reasonable goal. Well, Lord, how about I just do this little thing? How about I just go and talk to that person? And if this happens, then I'll go through the next door. And then I'll face that challenge when that happens. And as that happens, bam, God supernaturally intervenes and a whole thing explodes. People get on board. A mighty victory is won because a guy called Jonathan took initiative. No one asked him to. 
In fact, when he left, the guys are sitting there under the pomegranate tree going, where's Jono? Anyone know where John? Didn't even, didn't even tell anyone he was going. He just took initiative and God did an incredible, incredible thing. God backs your initiative. And if he doesn't back it, if the answer you get back is X, Y, and Z, then at least you know, oh, well, give it a shot. Wait for the next opportunity or make another opportunity. This is like Paul. It's the amazing thing is he's traveling in the book of Acts. He tries to go there, doesn't work out, door shuts. Oh, well, how about I try this city? And then it says Satan stopped him. Oh, oh, well, how about I try this city? And then a riot breaks out. Oh, oh, well. And then he has a dream one night of a Macedonian man saying, come over here. And he goes, oh, oh, well. And he goes to Macedonia and that whole region opens up for him. It is far easier to steer a vehicle that is already moving. Oh, I'm going to point my car that way. <clears throat> Nothing's happening. No, we're well, going to be moving first. Okay. Move first. Try something. Now God opens that door. Hey, it's a whole lot easier to move in that direction. Do something. Take initiative. And that might be a major example, a major battle scene. Okay. It's a great story. Good one to read to the kids. Okay, <laughs> a lot of Bible stories aren't that great uh, for bedtime, but that one's a good one. <laughs> but what about taking initiative in the inconspicuous things? What about those little things that really matter and that really add up? Because sometimes it's just the one percenters that can really bless people. A few weeks ago, some of you know, I went to South Africa with Rob and Glenda. And there's a, there's a few reasons why I went. Ultimately, I went because I felt the whisper of the Holy Spirit. So that's really my, my main reason. But one of the main events I went to was their church. Had a, the church that they planted had their 40-year anniversary. And this was a big deal for them. This is the church they planted 40 years ago. And they were invited to go back there. Haven't been back for a few years. And they were quite nervous about it. It was a big deal. And as we were going in, you know, that morning as they got up and I knew that they were nervous, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get the car ready. And I'm going to drive today. I'm just going to take the keys and say, Rob, I'm driving. Just tell me where to go. We get to the church and like they're carrying their bags. And I'm like, hang on, Rob, give me your bags. I'll carry your bags. We're walking in towards the door. There's this big sign that says Celebrate 40. I'm like, Glenda, quick, give me your phone. Took a photo of them. And I just took her phone off her for the whole service. And I'm following them around, taking photos of random people that are hugging them. I don't know who these people are, but I'm like capturing these moments, capturing these moments. They gave me a seat in the front row. I'm like, no, I'm not going to sit there. I'm going to sit over there so I can take a photo of Rob and Glenda. And, make. and I just think, you know, it was these most simple things. And they just look back and they get back on their phone. They've got all these photos of these people that they've known for 40 years, hugging them, talking to them. They said, oh, that, that's when that person said this to us. That's when that person, and you know, all it was was just a little initiative of me saying, you know what, I'm here to serve. This day is not about me. This day is about them. This day is about, and I'm here to improve, but not intrude. This happens all the time in this church. Some of, most of you won't know, but this morning, and for many, many Sundays, Pete and Alex get here really early. You know, Pete's one of the first to arrive here most Sunday mornings, and for a long time now, he, one of the first things he does is he grabs a broom and he sweeps the pebbles off the concrete in the driveway because your cars make it all messy. And no one asked him to do that. 
He just takes the initiative and he does it of his own accord. He's just wanting to improve without intruding. When we have leaders' nights at our home, we have gatherings every quarter or whatever, and often it's the case, people come in and I'm there making coffees and Mark will come up to me, Mark James, and he'll just come to me in the kitchen and he'll say, how can I help make coffees? I'll take orders for you. Who can I take that to? No one asks him to do that. He just takes the initiative. Often, Alex and Leanne, the last to leave, because as people are going, they're getting dishes and they start loading the dishwasher, doing the dishes. No one asks them to. They just take initiative. And even though I always restack the dishwasher later, <laughs> because no one stacks it as good as me, of course. The fact is, they are improving without intruding. It would be weird if Alex and Leanne were to do the dishes and then they were to decide, you know what, the pots and pans should really go in the Tupperware drawer. I'm going to take all that out and put that there. And this ridiculous thing, Jay, about having your knives and forks in a tin, they really go in the top drawer. That's when I'm going to put them over there. That's where they go. No, you know, that's intruding. But to go to a place and say, you know, I'm going to improve. I'm going to go to a cafe and I'm going to pay for the guy behind me. Did this recently in South Africa. Just paid for a guy. And said nothing and walked away. And the next day I did the same thing. Another guy, I just paid for the guy behind me. It was $2. What the heck's that? Pay for a guy's coffee. And I opened up this whole God conversation. Because I just took an issue. I just wanted to improve his day. Week after week, Louis and his family, the Decreville family, come in here. And they set up these chairs for us. No one asked them to. They volunteered to do it. It's their service, the way they serve our church. They took the initiative. They improved the life of this church and no one asked them to do that. There is wonderful power in initiative of improving without intruding, of saying, you know what? One of the best ways I can let my light shine is by noticing things. Sometimes that means extending my light bright and standing up to let my light be seen by many. Sometimes that means investing just one-on-one -on -one like a torch. But most of the time, letting my light shine means taking initiative, being front-footed, getting out and taking Jesus' words personally for me. Let my light shine. I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au. And of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say good day. Bye.